So I did a Dinner Impossible right here in Philadelphia at the docks. There was a different animal from different places around the world. I had rattlesnakes. I had pack a pack of fish, a pheasant. I had to cook a pheasant on the docks, literally. Right on the dock. Oh. In a garbage container. Hey, everybody. I'm Chef Tim Lopez. I work as a line chef and first cook at the Eagles Novacare in South Philadelphia. And this show is about taking a look at football through the foods that we all love. We're going to talk with players, coaches, chefs, and celebrities about the food culture of our team and our Eagles community. This is Feeding the Birds. Hey, everyone. It's Chef Tim Lopez of Feeding the Birds podcast. Welcome to the show. We have a really great episode for you. This past Sunday, November 11th, was our Salute to Service game. And in honor of Veterans Day, we have very special interviews. First up, we have an interview with TV celebrity chef Robert Irvine. You know him from Dinner Impossible and Restaurant Impossible. And he visited us at the Eagles Novacare Complex, talked about where his love of food began, his exciting career, and how he became a fan of our Philadelphia Eagles. It's an honor for me to sit down with this chef. Chef Robert Irvine is here today in the studio with us on the Feeding the Birds podcast. Chef, thank you for coming in. Well, listen, thank you for cooking my lunch. Oh, yeah, what would you, ha- you have? I had a great steak. Yeah. Cooked by Tim himself. That's right. That's right. I cook a lot of steak for a lot of these guys. Surprised you didn't order more than one because most of the players come in order about two or three at a time. So Yeah, but look at them and look at me. Dude, I'm 200 right pounds. They're, they're, they're like 350 pounds. You could get He's... on that field with no hesitation. I'm pretty sure. I'm looking at you right now. <laughs> I don't think so, but that's good of you to say that. You could hold your own, I think. I'm glad you enjoyed your lunch. There's been a lot of changes to our cafe. What was your first impression walking in, checking I, out the cafe? I got to tell you, and I get to see campuses, I get to see restaurants, I get to see hotels, and I was blown away, A, by the brightness of the place, and B, by the quality of the food and the abundance of food. All different styles, sushi, steaks, salmon, chicken, roasted beasts. I mean, just great stuff. And if you think where we are, I would not have expected that quality of food, believe it or not. No, we're in the NFL. Because most of the time people think of the NFL, what are they thinking? Chicken wings, brats, you know, they're thinking uh, ribs. I mean, we do all that stuff, especially today. Today was Friday. Today we call it our barbecue day, so we do a lot of that stuff. But we also, in the past few years, are starting getting really healthy. You know, sports science has started playing a major role in this organization. And obviously, you know, it's a good thing, too, because we got a Super Bowl out of it. So what's your take on sports science? What's your take on a lot of the different changes and trends in food in the NFL, in professional sports? What do you think about that? I think food in general, I'll get to sports in a second, but food in general, we're starting to think more healthy now. We're starting to specifically ask for things with low sodium, low sugar in supermarkets. Yes, there's still you know a lot of people that don't want that, but the world is changing. And then if we think of sports teams, right, these are athletes. And each one of them has a specific job and a role in this organization, whether you're running back, whether you're a quarterback, whatever it is, we've got to give you the fuel so you can do your job. Beautiful weight training facilities. Science, yes. I mean, I've been looking at drinks and juices, and I love that you have a shake bar in there. You can make your own shakes at lunch. When you think of a professional team like the Eagles or any other professional team, but I'm saying Eagles because I've never seen this type of food in anywhere else. Yeah, we are feeding people that are asking to do a job on a field for X amount of days, right? So we train game day on Sunday. We take Monday off, then we're back out on Tuesday. That's a lot of intensity and a lot of explosive power in a short period of time that you got to feed. 
Absolutely. And science and food go really hand in hand there. Yes, they definitely do. It's been a pleasure to be. I've been here, you know, close to 13 years. It's been a pleasure to work here and work through the changes and see how much of the different foods that go into these guys' bodies and what results they're producing, whether it's recovery, whether it's muscle building, whether it's just keeping them maintaining and just keeping them going. It's been a real pleasure. And the changes that have taken place, you know, even in just the last six months have been incredible. We added a clean eating station. I don't know if you got a chance to check that out. That's something that Jason Kelsey talked about with our head chef, James Searles. That's been something that a lot of the guys are hitting. They want to just come in and get something completely clean. You know, we've got a lot of different stuff going on our action station where we're trying to bring them foods of the world, but always keep it healthy. We got a lot of grains going on. The biggest thing for me is when I see collaboration between a strength coach, the coach, the player, and chefs, you know what chefs are like, they're big egos, right? They don't like to change things. And here we are with a professional group of athletes and working as a team, you can put them to the peak performers and the food is a huge part of that. So is the strength and so is the nutrition, right? So I'm blown away at the collaboration of all the departments to be able to make that work. Because if I look at other places that wanna try and do the same thing, there's always one spoke in the cog that doesn't want to get it done or wants to do it their way and doesn't want to listen to anybody else. True. And the only way you win is if the team works together and you have a great team here. Yeah, we have a fantastic team here. Everybody's on board. Any communication we have from Mike Minnis, who's our performance nutrition guy, Josh Hanks, strength and conditioning, the people that work down the fuel bar, everything is in sync. And it's such a huge part of what we do to fuel these guys up to victory. I always like to think I'm putting like high test in a race car, you know? If I'm putting in regular gasoline, I'm not going to go as far. So when I fuel these guys up, I get excited. I get excited to see them do something on that field that's amazing, and I go, I'm a part of that. Well, I watched the practice this morning, and I hadn't eaten anything, and yet I wanted to run and run and run and run and run. I felt like Forrest Gump. There you go. I'm glad you don't look like Forrest Gump. (laughs) Oh, my man, there's so many things I want to ask you, but one of the questions I'm going to start with, How'd you first get into cooking? I read some stuff online, said you started at about 11 years old, and I know you joined the British Navy at age 15. What do you love about cooking so much? What got you into being a cook? Well, let me answer that first part first. I was 11 years old, absolutely correct. I joined a home economics class because there was 30 girls and me. There you go. And that was the real reason I joined home, okay. <laughs> home economics. I made my first quiche Lorraine, and I was amazed that pastry, cheese, eggs, onion, and you bake it, could give you a meal. And I was absolutely blown away by it. The girls went out the window. I fell in love with cooking. Every week I would go home with a different thing for my dad. And my dad's little Irish fella, bless him, ate meat and potatoes. And I would make chicken fricassee and all these things. And he would say, what is this crap? What is this crap? I said, it's food, dad. He's used to mashed potatoes and, you know, shepherd's pie. And, and I fell in love with it. Here I am at 53 years old, still doing the same thing. That's it. It's like a lifelong love story, man. I'm kind of the same way, kind of the same way, except kind of had to cook in self-defense. Uh, I love my mom, but she was not very good at keeping us fed. And so my grandmother stepped in and taught me a couple of tricks. And since about age 11 or 12, I cooked for the family all the way up till I went to college and then later culinary. And here I sit today and uh, I can't stop cooking. I don't know. Are you addicted to cooking like I'm addicted, I'm addicted to cooking? addicted to new things. So I had the same story. My mother couldn't cook. She was terrible. I wrote a book, and it's the gospel truth. I wrote a book, and I put a chapter about how bad her vegetables were drinking through a straw. They were that bad. Oh, my God. When the book was coming out, my mother was so proud. She said, I'm so proud of you. I said, well, I've got to tell you something before the book goes. (laughs) There's a whole chapter in there about you and how bad you cook. And she said, well, that's the way your dad likes his food. And I said to my dad, is that true? You like your vegetables through a straw and everything's overcooked and pasty and this one, that? He said, listen, I'm going to tell you a story. I've been married to your mother for 50 years. Whatever she says, I just say yes. 
I know a lot of guys like that. And that's how they did. And I'm like, well, I'm not making vegetables like that. I'm going to cook. And I, I joined the military. And as I said, here I am. I love to create new things. I love to see new things. And I love to take old classics and revise them. So they're a lot healthier. I'm on about this, you know, like yourself here, empowering people through food and fitness on a daily basis to me is the most exciting thing we have. I like to work out my wife was a professional athlete, you know, mm -hmm. a wrestler, a Hall of Fame wrestler. So we work out together. When I first dated, started dating her, you know, I used to go to the gym three days a week. I think it was right. Now we're at seven days a week and she pushes me and she was the best thing that ever happened to me. Believe me. I believe it. I believe it. You guys look great. I do not necessarily have the physique. I know this is just a podcast. I definitely look like the part of a chef. So voice for radio, brain for cooking. That's me. Um, <laughs> I don't think so, too. It takes no time to change a habit, right? We have a habit of we drink beer, we feed, uh, you know, mac and cheese, all the fat stuff. It takes a choice to change that. Chef's a little different because we have to eat food all the time, mm -hmm. right? Doesn't mean we have to eat it all at the same time. Very true. But you can change anytime. And there's a great gym here. You have great facilities. And by the way, that would take you probably eight, nine weeks. Eight, nine weeks? Just so you know. Give it a shot. I mean, we do have an off season coming up in so many months, but, uh, but I know you do. I'm, I'm all I, I, about the in, season In Tim's right now, defense, so. I will give you a defense here, but not an excuse. I give you a defense. You work long hours doing a, a great job. Well, I actually lost weight during training camp, so I appreciate what, what you just said, but I dropped 15 pounds during training camp because I didn't have time to eat, so... You know, there's something to be said for hard work, you know. So, but, that's, but, but that drops, but then it comes back again yeah, because be your metabolism doesn't change. No, it doesn't. You eat twice as much when you're hungry. So the idea of meals like these athletes is to eat smaller meals every two to three hours. They definitely follow that. Yeah, so. we, we feed them like four or five times a day. So yeah. very cool, man. All right, I want to talk to you about some of your favorite foods. What is something that is a guilty pleasure for you? You just give it to me. Uh, by the way, all you listening to this podcast, I just had three birthday cakes. Tim and the team, cheesecake is a big one for me. And my wife is sitting there saying, tell the truth, it's anything sweet. Anything sweet. I love Snickers bars. I love chocolate. But I've been really good the last month until today. I've had no desserts. But I had two slices of cheesecake today. So That's your so, birthday. You're allowed. It's your birthday. Yeah, so. you know, Happy yeah. birthday, man. I grew up in England, you know, and it's funny. We came from a very poor family. Um, my dad passed away a couple of years ago with 93 cents in his pocket, literally. Mm. My mother's lived in the same house that she's rented for 40 years. Rented. We tried to buy it. She didn't want it. I grew up eating a dinner for me was two slices of white bread with butter and sugar. That was dinner. That's how we grew up. Sure. I lived in secondhand clothes and, and all those things. Oxfam in England, but goodwill here. We weren't, uh, you know, full of money and we didn't have all the things that other kids had. But there's one thing that I grew up with. It was a lot of love. Yeah. So, uh, you know, and that's what we try and do as chefs. We give that love through food. I think we definitely do. That's one of my favorite parts of the job, especially cooking right on an open line like that, where the players are just going to walk up, order something to eat, where our office staff can come in. And that's a cool thing, too. I don't know if you knew this, but we, we mix the building population, which is something very different for me when I first got here I thought everything was separated no everything's mixed together so you've got you know linemen with people from HR you got people from production with Carson Wentz in there you got a whole bunch of different people we're all together one big happy family so we feed everybody like a family you know when you sit down over a meal with your family whether it be your football family or your immediate family there's a lot of love that gets exchanged through the food and through the stories I love that I love connecting with people but I saw that in the, in the hour and a half that I was sitting in there I saw that and I mean that sincerely you can see that and yes Carson Wentz was in there and he was talking to this guy and this guy but there was a lot of people and you were one of them you knew everybody's name hey mm -hmm. hey what do you need what do you need what are you looking for oh, what yeah. can I get and I think that's how I like to work Absolutely. Sir. And if you don't work in an environment like that, leave your job. 
Yeah. Because you can't be happy doing it. No, you cannot be happy. If you don't love what you do, then you're doing the wrong thing. No. Absolutely, man. I completely agree. I can't stop cooking. My wife even tells me on my day off. She's like, you going to take a day off? I'm like, well, aren't you hungry? I don't go out to restaurants as much because I just, you know, I cook so much here. I want to cook at home. Do you find yourself cooking a lot when, no. when you don't have to? No. You actually take time off. So here's the funny thing. I just got a new house, a new kitchen. Took a year to finish the kitchen, by the way, but my wife cooks pretty much every day when we're at home. We're not home. We travel 345 days a year. But my wife cooks, and I love it. She's sitting over there. You're awesome. You know, it's all healthy, you know, baked potatoes. For years, I have avoided any type of squash. I'm like, yeah, no, I'm not doing that. She said, one day I'm going to roast uh, spaghetti squash. I'm going to make a tomato sauce, and I'm going to do this. I said, yeah, fill your boots. Go ahead. You know, <laughs> And she did. <laughs> and it was awesome. Yeah, it's good stuff. And and she makes the best chimichurri. She makes a better chimichurri than I do. And that's hard to say that on air. Is that right? Yeah, she's I'll, a really I'm good a cook. I'm a fan of chimichurri. I'm going to need to get that recipe, She's Gail. a really good All cook. All right, before you leave. a really good cook. All right, I love chimichurri. You, got, you guys are talking right to me. All right, let's spin it around a little bit here. I know that you don't like using a lot of cinnamon, but what's a food that you can't stand? There's got to be something out there in the food world that you're just peppers. like, no way. Any kind of peppers? Any or? kind of peppers. I hate it. Well, more capsicums. Red pepper, green pepper, yellow peppers. Sure. I don't mind heat, you know, but the peppers, I can't eat them. I don't. And cinnamon. There's a story about cinnamon. I just finished a show traveling the world to Ceylon, Sri Lanka, and Salem. So we use cassia here, right, which is a fake cinnamon with pepper. But cinnamon, to all your listeners out there, if they don't know, made the first millionaire in Salem, Massachusetts. But what we have here is not real cinnamon. You have to, Ceylon cinnamon is what they call the real cinnamon. So I went to Ceylon or Sri Lanka and I harvested cinnamon and I loved it. When I say I hate cinnamon, I only hate cassia, not Ceylon cinnamon. Not the real deal cinnamon. The real deal cinnamon, cinnamon is amazing. Yeah, we have that here. Of course you do. Yeah. You have everything yeah, first rate. We have right every, here. everything here, yeah. Uh, I'm going to leave TV. I'm coming to work for the Eagles. You can I'm telling you, I'm going to get a job somewhere. Can always, we, can a always, we can always use an extra hand back there. You know, it gets hectic back there. I'd love to have you on the grill Listen, at some point. I'll be on the grill, but I want the ring. All right. That's it. All right. So you help us get the next ring, and then that's I'll how you get you the, the ring. ring. Yeah, that's, that's how we do it, you know? Okay. Don't worry. I'll get you another one. All right. I'm down with that. Tell me about cooking in the Navy. Well, you know, I was a young kid when I joined the Navy. I still feel like a young kid now. You know, most 11, 12, 13, 14, 15-year-old kids grew up playing soccer. Then they go on from high school, they go to college, and so on and so on. I was a terrible, terrible student. My mother used to do my homework. My mother used to play, clean my football boots, my soccer boots. Mm. My mother was like, I think I was a favorite. But So I would come home and say, oh, this is hard homework. Can you do it for me? And she would. And I would sit back and watch TV, bless her. But then I joined the Navy, and I'd been in the Sea Cadet, so I would travel to marine bases and warships and, and spend weekends at sea and things like that. So the Navy was a big thing for me. I loved the ocean. I loved the camaraderie. Not too much different to here. You know, it's 240 men on a ship. You know, you feed them. That feeling of... Giving something, and it wasn't nutritious, by the way, at that point. Uh, it was just food. They would eat enormous amounts of food. When we went to the Falklands, it was dried dried uh, cabbage, dried egg powder. Oh we used to keep the yolks, literally wash the yolks of the eggs after we'd used the fresh eggs, keep them, crush them into the dry powdered eggs to, to make the guys think they were real eggs. They weren't. They were terrible. Oh, my. But I learned an awful lot of how to, you know, when you're a cook uh, in the Navy, you're not just a cook. When you go to a war zone, you resupply missiles and you shoot guns and, you you know, you do all these kind of things. You're firefighters. So for me, it was a great experience of learning not only how to cook for 240 guys, but also otherworldly things. You know, I instituted uh, an afternoon tea in Her Majesty's Royal Navy, cakes and sandwiches. And to this day, 
We were in Rota, Spain with the vice chairman of Joint Chiefs, went on to a British minesweeper, and at three o'clock in the afternoon, they were having high tea, afternoon tea. Because we started 20-something years ago. That's fantastic. So it's a good time. I dig that. That's great. I wonder, can we do an afternoon tea at the Eagles? I wonder if that would go well. Oh, you'd sell a lot. You think so? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, as long if as there was if, a beer attached yeah, to it somewhere uh, and, a, possibly, and, a, and a hoagie, possibly, yeah, possibly. I just, I, if I give him some lean protein and grains, I'm pretty sure we could do a really good tea for him as well. All right, I'm going to take you out. I really appreciate your time today. I'm going to take you out with a couple of questions. Yep. I'm just hit them, hit them with you real fast. Favorite burger topping ever? Fried onions. Fried onions. Favorite pizza topping? Pepperoni. Amen. All right, I'm right there with you. I'm grooving. What was the best thing you ever ate? Mashed potatoes, roast chicken. Yeah, I read that about you. I was hoping <laughs> that you were going to stretch into something else, but that no, you you that, stayed so, true. So you I, stayed I true. A, I am a nut. Sounds simple. The best, creamiest mashed potato. Not necessarily healthy. Pound and a half of butter, some cream. <laughs> uh, roasted chicken. A perfect piece of roasted chicken is better than anything you can ever have in the world. Your steak today, and I'm not kidding you, was seasoned perfectly. If I got a piece of chicken seasoned and cooked the way you cooked my steak today with mashed potatoes, I'd die and go to heaven. Well, that's high praise, man, because I've seen you. I've seen truth. you. That's my wife. Oh, I've ripped people apart. Ripped people apart. So I am, I am very honored by that. Thank you so much. All right. What's the oddest food you've encountered in all your travels? We're going to close with this one. Right. So I did a Dinner Impossible right here in Philadelphia at the docks. And they had a container ship come in with, in every container, there was a different product, animal, from different places around the world. I had rattlesnakes. I had pack of pack of fish, a pheasant. I had to cook a pheasant on the docks, literally. It's right on the dock. Oh. In a garbage container. That sounds um, amazing. But the, bit, the, the, the strangest <laughs> thing was just pack a pack of fish that was all bone and big fang teeth and rattlesnake. How did you throw it, all that together? It was pretty interesting. It was freezing cold, raining, and I had to feed the stevedores. That sounds like a surfing turf not, from hell, man. They like, are not an easy group of people to feed. I can imagine not. Yeah. But all exotic creatures. Exactly. But they're edible. Yeah. I always say the snake tastes like chicken. The fish, I, there's so many bones in the fish, I couldn't eat it. And the pheasant, ostrich, peacock, something like that. Something crazy like that. It was something crazy. And I tried to cook it like a, under a garbage container and it only half cooked. In the rain. <laughs> in the rain. Oh, my. I've got some good memories of Philly. It sounds like you do, man. I really appreciate your time today. I do have one more question, though. Go for it. you got to have a favorite Eagles player. Who is it? Right now? Yeah, right now. Carson. Not for his playing, right? Okay. I'm going to tell you that right off. We've got a thousand great players, right, in the Eagles and through history. But because he's philanthropy with people. And I'm about, you know, we have a foundation, the Robert Irvine Foundation takes care of kids and our military. And what Carson is doing with his fame and his money. And there are a lot of other players out there, so please don't judge me on that. But he's doing something really cool to help the less fortunate in Philadelphia. And I absolutely love that. I think we all love that about him. He's a hell of a guy. He's a wonderful. Hey, you know, he's my quarterback. He's all our quarterback. So. Yeah, he's a great quarterback, but wonderful. he's an even better human being. He is a better human being. Absolutely. <laughs> Chef Robert Irvine, thank you so much for sitting down with us today on Feeding the Birds. Really appreciate it. Appreciate you, Tim. The man, the myth, the legend. <laughs> Next up, I had a chance to sit down with our new executive chef, James Searles. He also comes from a military family, and we're going to get into that. He's new with us this season at the Philadelphia Eagles, so we're going to dive into his career and his passion for food and also some new changes that he's brought here to the Eagles Novacare Cafe. This is Chef Tim Lopez, and I'm sitting down with 
the senior executive chef for Flick Hospitality at the Eagles Novacare Cafe. This is uh, Chef James Searles. Thank you for making time with us today to sit down and tell us a little bit about yourself and some exciting things that have been going on the past couple weeks here at the Philadelphia Eagles. Absolutely. No problem. So I want to get started just by introducing uh, Chef James to our listeners. He has been with Flick Hospitality for a number of years. How many years is that? Um, I've been with Flick for about 14 years. 14 years, okay. You've been in many different accounts. This is your first football account, is that correct? Correct, yeah. yeah. Okay, so tell us a little bit about like the other accounts. I mean, Flick Hospitality pretty much deals with corporate dining, but football accounts are a little different. Can you tell us about maybe some of the things that you saw as major differences and challenges when you first arrived here at the Eagles? Well, one of the biggest difference would definitely be that it's really like a family here. Um, it's a smaller, smaller community. So, you know, building wise, when I worked for a larger corporation, you really don't see the immediate difference there or the impact that you have when you do everything daily. But here you kind of have a one-on-one with everybody, whether it's, you know, Jeffrey Laurie to T-Roy that takes out the trash. You know, it seems like everybody's on an even playing field. Yeah, I enjoy that about working here as well. I've been with Flick about the same amount of time as James. Worked in many different accounts, but when I came to a football account, exactly. It's smaller, it's more intimate, you get to know the guests a lot better, you're more in touch with their nutrition needs, their likes and dislikes, and you hear about it directly. They'll tell you straight up, like, you know, I really wasn't into that fish that you guys made yesterday, or, you know, that those Brussels sprouts. Like today, you know, somebody, I guess Mike Menace came in and he said that the Brussels sprouts that Deera had put out on the salad bar were absolutely incredible. And as a, the boss, you can communicate that to your employees and say, you know, let's step up production on that or, you know, stay the course or we need to, you know, fix something over on the um, smoothie bar or anything like that. We're approachable and they're very approachable. So Yeah, definitely. These guys, uh, they're not afraid to tell you if they don't like something, but they're also willing to give the positive feedback as well. A lot of places that you go to, people don't really give you the positive stuff, just the negative things that they want changed. But we definitely get a lot of positive feedback here. Yeah, that's a pretty cool thing about working here. Let's do your history a little bit, just in general. Uh, you grew up in Washington State. So I come from a military family. My dad was in the Navy, served uh, for 29 years. I was born in Washington State. I lived there until I was seven, Bremerton, Washington. Uh, we then moved to Yokosuka, Japan. Lived there for three years to Pearl Harbor, Hawaii after that. Lived there for three years, Virginia Beach. And then my father was actually born in Philadelphia. So a lot of our family is here. So when he retired, uh, we moved back to the Philadelphia area currently live in South Jersey. Wonderful. So you had a nice different range of foods to get to know in different parts of the world. Is there anything you picked up on in childhood that stuck with you, like a favorite, whether it was from Japan or Hawaii or even, you know, where you grew up in Washington State? Um, Yeah, it was really different cuisine all the way around. I mean, in Washington State, my dad hunted while we were there, so he would make a lot of jerky and uh, venison pepperoni, things like that. So we ate a lot of uh, a lot of wild game there. When we lived in Japan, definitely a culture shock. The cuisine is definitely different from what I was used to, but we adapted with it. Sushi was awesome, and um, yakisoba was really good, things like that. And then we went to Hawaii, culture shock as well. You know, things are really different there. Poke bowls are really good. One thing that I wasn't a big fan of was poi. It's pounded taro root. I'm a big texture person. Definitely different for me, but it was a lot of fun. A lot of a lot of fun moving around to different areas. That's great. And so you you garnered a pretty much big wealth of food knowledge, experiencing these different things at an early age. Did you know that you wanted to be a chef when you were uh, in say in your teens or your, your early twenties? To be honest with you, uh, when I graduated high school, I really didn't know what I wanted to do. I took a couple years off and then went to the Academy of Culinary Arts in Mays Landing. Studied there. My career went off from there. I went to uh, restaurants. Worked at a country club found a ad out for Flick Hospitality and applied for the position and uh, started out as the grill cook. The Fed Reserve Bank. The Fed Reserve Bank. Mm -hmm. Yep. I learned a lot there at the Fed. I was mentored by Jason Boniak as well. 
who was a very good mentor. He taught me a lot of things that I use today. Just moved up from there. I grew within the company, jumping from different spots in the business. After I left the Federal Reserve Bank, I went to Siemens Pharmaceutical. I was there for about five years, and then went to Merck Pharmaceutical as the executive chef, then came into my position here as the senior executive chef for the Philadelphia Eagles. Is this uh, your favorite account so far? What would you say? I would definitely say it's the most interesting. Uh, it is my favorite uh, I would definitely say because I've been a fan since I was little. Um, it's like a, a dream to be here, and I don't take it for granted. Not one day. Yeah. I mean, every time you walk through those doors, you can just feel the passion and the drive that everybody has here in the business. You know, when we're doing long days, it's not just the kitchen staff doing long days. It's everybody putting in long hours. Yeah, exactly. Good. Exactly. One so. of the uh, questions on my interview that I had here, that I wasn't interviewing for Flick Hospitality to be a chef here. I was interviewing to be an eagle. So that was a really cool concept. It got me to, to kind of sit back and think about it for a while. I thought that was very, very interesting. Because that uh, completely changes your mindset about what type of job you're actually, you know, going to work as, like what you're coming into. All right, so let's get into some of the things that have been going on these past couple weeks. We've had an exciting season so far, and you got to take part in something pretty cool a couple of weeks ago. James was able to go out with the team to London when they played the Jaguars. Uh, tell us a little bit about that experience. First of all, how did you get the nod to get out there? With just some of the uh, positive changes that have been made, kind of built a great relationship with some of the people in the business here uh, that work for the Eagles. Mike Minnis and I sat down and had a conversation about the upcoming year and things that were going to be going on, and one of those things were London. During that conversation, there was a menu that was already kind of built. Quite a few conference calls with the executive chef where the team stayed, as well as Wembley, to go over in detail the menu. And culinary-wise, their cuisine is a little bit different than ours. It's not a bad cuisine, it's just different. Mike wanted me to go out there to make sure that it was what the team wanted and what the team expected. I believe it's important, and it's my job, to make sure that the team isn't thinking about what they're eating, how they're eating, when they're eating. They aren't thinking about if this meal might make their stomach upset. Uh, they should just be concentrating on, on their job. It shouldn't be any worry to them about what they're consuming. So that was pretty much the reason behind it was to, to talk to the chef and the culinary teams over there and make sure that we're all on the same page. They all know what my expectations are for the team. We ended up shipping two food crates over, whether it was snacks, there was a lot of condiments on there, Hellman's mayonnaise, things like that. Yeah, it's hard, so, to, hard to get that stuff in the UK. Sure. Yeah, even though they might have, they do have Hellman's mayonnaise, it's just produced differently. When I landed over there, I landed a couple of days early, so I had a few days of vacation. And then I sat down with the culinary team at the team hotel on Wednesday. The team was landing on Friday. So I sat down with the chef and the culinary team over there. We went over the menu specifically uh, in detail double-checked some product, then had a meeting, went over to Wembley. I had a tour of Wembley, which was amazing. It's a beautiful stadium. Sat down with the executive chef there, as well as the catering department, and went over in detail the post-meal that we were going to have, and then it kind of went off from there. Uh, Thursday, kind of oversaw some production, and then Friday, the team landed, got off the plane, went for a stretch, and the ball was rolling from there. How many meals you guys doing? Breakfast, lunch, and dinner for three days? Breakfast, lunch, and dinner for three days, and then the post-meal game. Over, over at Wembley, right? Yeah. Okay. So definitely differences. The English breakfast, they have a lot of deli meats. They have grilled tomatoes, roasted mushrooms. Their eggs aren't prepared the same way that we like ours here. You know, so there was some, there were some differences. The executive chef there did a fantastic job. He wowed me every day. So it was great. It's pretty cool that there's, you know, there's only one Philadelphia Eagles team and, and I'm the executive chef for them. It's pretty cool. Let's talk about back here at the Eagles uh, Novacare Cafeteria. A lot of changes 
since uh, you took over as executive chef. Uh, both you and Eric have been working hard to make a lot of different things, a lot of easier access to these new stations that we have. And one of the new stations that is up and running now that everybody's just loving is uh, the pizza station. Yes. Tell us a little bit about the process of actually developing that and doing the things that needed to be done to, to you know, be up to snuff where these guys want it. The uh, players and coaches were very excited about it. Walk us through that a little bit. When Eric and I first came aboard here, we kind of stood back, looked at the cafeteria, and um, tried to see what we wanted to do. You know, we kind of had free reign to, to come up with ideas and be creative with it. Uh, we One of the stations that we spoke about was a pizza station and having something on there daily. Got spoken about from Howie and a few other executives, and we kind of got the ball rolling. And it actually happened a lot quicker than expected. Construction started pretty quickly thereafter, we talked about the the idea of the pizza oven. Sent up Eric Montijo to a, a restaurant in Brooklyn. Uh, he learned their dough recipe, the sauce recipe, worked a shift, made the dough, things like that. Uh, we'd make our own homemade dough, we make our own homemade sauces, and we actually use a sliced fresh mozzarella as our cheese instead of a shredded mozzarella like most places may use. And surprisingly, the recipes are, are quite simple and quite tasteful. You're making how much dough for every time you make it? How many pounds? 50 pounds of, 50 of pound dough. 50 batch, okay. And yeah. what would you say for people that are listening to this that may not know, how much pizza does a football team eat? Well, the Even first day that we market? opened it, we went through 127 pizzas, pretty labor intensive, and it was what we expected. It was what we expected to do. We expected it to hit pretty hard. On average in a day, we do about 85 to 90 pizzas a day. We do your regular cheese pizza, margarita pizza, we'll do a pepperoni pizza, and then we also do a specialty pizza. We've done a truffle pizza pizza. We do a nice white garlic base, put the fresh mozzarella on, use a little bit of uh, truffle oil for flavor, cook it about halfway, crack an egg on top, and then finish it the rest of the way so the egg is nice and loose. Comes out of the oven, we'll shave fresh black truffle on top, and then crack the yolk, spread it around, and it goes over pretty well. Yeah, we're very amazing. happy with it. It was amazing. I had it the other day, and then I had it again because we made another one. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's good. You guys could make that all the time. I think everybody would love it. Hey, so the super side pizza is really good too. Oh yeah, it's nice. Absolutely, good stuff, man. Good stuff. So James, one of the uh, coolest compliments I think that we got um, about the pizza station was uh, Chris Collinsworth. Sunday Night Football was in the other day, and uh, he went up telling our pizza chef uh, Charles Gathers or Muck. He's well-known. He said, where do you guys learn to make the pizza like this? And he said, you know, they sent, you know, Eric went up to Brooklyn. He got the dough recipe, the sauce recipe. And he said, uh, you, know, you need to go back up to Brooklyn and teach him how to make it like this. Because it's like a Philly version of a Brooklyn pizza somehow. And he said it was absolutely incredible. So it's great to have people like that, you know, whether they're sports personalities or anybody that comes for a visit to be able to experience our food in a different way than the people that are here every day. So to hear that kind of feedback, that just makes me, yeah, we're definitely doing it right. Like they're not just being nice to us. And not just because they're hungry, like we're doing it right. We got a cook to order station now. We're hand cutting some really good steaks. We got fresh cut salmon every day. We got fresh chicken breast. We got the really good burgers from our meat supplier. Yep. To be able to cook that stuff fresh, I know it doesn't sound like it's that exciting to like maybe an average listener to this podcast or someone's like, oh, well, yeah, it would be fresh, right? This is really fresh. It's really high quality product. And to just see the looks on the people's faces when this product comes out of our uh, oven or off the flat top there where I'm preparing it fresh every day. All right, my man, I got a couple more questions to ask you, then I'll let you go. I really want to thank you for sitting down with us today. These are easy ones. No so, problem. Uh, let's start off with this one. Best thing you ever ate. Best thing I ever ate. So my favorite food is uh, blue claw crabs. I could sit on a deck 
drink a beer, and eat some Blue Claws until my back hurts. And those of you that eat Blue Claws will know what I'm talking about. So my dad and I took a trip when we lived in Virginia Beach to North Carolina. Went to a restaurant. I couldn't tell you what the restaurant's name was. The tables were all round, and there was a hole in the middle of the table, and there was a trash can underneath. So you'd order your crabs, you'd eat them right on the table, and just throw your shells right in the uh, in the middle. At that location, those Blue Claw crabs, I'm sure it was part of the time that I spent with my dad there as well, were definitely the, the best crabs that I've ever had. Um, I have my own little recipe that I do, but they were really good. I'm up there with you on that. I like some Blue Claws. All right, what's the worst thing you ever ate? Worst thing you ever ate? Well, boy, wasn't a big the fan t- of that. Taro root. Wasn't just a big no fan good. of that. There's other ways to, to prepare it and, and prepare taro root. Boy, just I wasn't a big fan of. Just never, ever. Nobody ever made it in a way that you could stomach it. Some of the, the stranger things that I ate when I lived in Japan, there was this mall that they had right off of the military base, and there was a little street vendor that would, that would sell dried fish. They were really small, like um, sardines. My mom would buy me a bag of those, and I would eat them as we were walking through the mall. Uh, my mom would not give me a kiss after that because my breath really smelled. But those were one of my favorite things that were strange. It was something different. And I think that being a young child and being open to trying new things was pretty cool. Cool little spot there. You just ate them up like potato chips. Bag full of fish, handful in my mouth. Every see, time. I, every time I see that when I'm on an Asian market or something, I see like they've got those tiny little yep. dried shrimp or whatever. And I'm like, mm-hmm. I wonder if you could just pop them just like, I bet you could. Yep. And, and people do. So next time I do that, I'm grabbing a bag. Yeah, they're a little, a little salty, a little fishy, but they're good. It's all right. That's the stuff you like. Go for it, man. Gonna hit you with the three questions. Here we go. Favorite burger topping? Favorite burger topping of all time. I really like a over easy egg. It's the first time anybody said that. Why over easy? Because when you bite into it and the yolk kind of gives you that um, runniness and that texture, it's messy. It's definitely messy. Gives you a good flavor. Are you in agreement with me when I say that maybe the the egg yolk is nature's like perfect sauce? Absolutely. Yeah, like yeah, that's just like. But it's got to be a good egg. It all has uh, to be a good egg. Yeah, we, we got we really have, good eggs here. Yeah. So I hear you, man. I would go on on and on about burgers, but I'm going to get to the next question with you. Pizza topping. Now we're doing pizzas in the cafe, but what's your favorite one ever? Favorite pizza topping ever. Well, I'm a huge seafood fan, and there's this. Um, this pizza place in Wildwood, New Jersey, that does a, uh, I don't even think it's rare anymore, to be honest with you. I haven't had it in a while. But they do a seafood pizza. They had lump crab, scallops, and shrimp, and it was a, a white pizza. They actually put a little bit of um, Alfredo sauce on there as well. That was amazing. Sounds so good, I would definitely say, uh, you know, any seafood, but definitely the, the trio there was, was really good. That sounds amazing. Oddest food experience of your life? Oddest food experience of my life. There's food involved. So I can go with this story. When I was younger and we lived in Virginia Beach, my family got invited to the White House during Desert Storm. So to meet President Clinton, and then he did a uh, state of address to um, all the military families, thanking them for their service. So we were waiting for Bill Clinton to come into the Oval Office, and there were some snacks around, and there were these little boxes of M&Ms. So I was kind of sitting there. I was bored, nothing to do. And a Secret Service agent threw a box of M&Ms right past my head. So I turned around, threw them back to him, and then we kind of played catch with the M&Ms in the Oval Office. I didn't know at the time, but he was the head of Secret Service, and it was a pretty cool experience to, to do that. And you had loved M&Ms ever since, right? Uh, every day. Every day. Part of my diet. Every day. Yeah. Yeah. You can still get M&Ms here. We have <laughs> M&Ms. There was a point where we tried to take them out of the cafeteria. Big uproar. Big yeah. uproar. So there is a, there is a M&M part of our, uh, I guess you'd call it dried cereals and uh, different nuts and grains that we have out there. And, and uh, the, the M&Ms are right there. Yeah. Well, for one day, I took the M&Ms out and put goldfish in their place. And everybody uh, was, was by mad. lunchtime, I got rid of the goldfish and put the M&Ms back yeah. out. All right, James. 
Thank you so much for sitting down with us, Chef. We appreciate you very much here at the Philadelphia Eagles. Thank Uh, you. I appreciate working with both you and Eric. A lot of changes in our cafe. A lot more to come from what I hear, and uh, we're just going to keep cooking, making every day great, and keep our passion going for the Philadelphia Eagles. Thank you. Thank you, sir. Go Birds. Go Birds. Those were some really great interviews, and I had a great time talking to two chefs that I really admire. I also admire all our servicemen and women around the country and around the world. Thank you for your service. That'll do it for us today on Feeding the Birds this week. I want you to check us out wherever you get your podcasts. You can also check out our previous episodes. Got a lot of good stuff. And please feel free to give us some feedback and rate the show. Uh, You can also check out our Instagram at chef.tim.phl.eagles. And we would love to hear from you on that Instagram, whether it be recipes or food stories, or share some of your photos of the wonderful food that we know that our fans are producing. So please join us next time when we take a step off the field and take a look at what's on the plate. Go Birds!